Welcome back to your main evening discussing state planning. My guests Harry Joffe and Gordon Stewart. You can email your questions to Brian at bdtv.serdo.za. Gordon, before we went off air, there was one thing I wanted to That will play such a major part in, your, in the state planning. Please comment on that. Yeah, thanks, Brian. You know, so as I mentioned, there's a four-step plan whenever you're doing your will. And one of them was estate planning. And I just really want to use this opportunity to remind our viewers that in terms of the South African Reserve Bank regulations, a South African trust, and that could be an inter vivos trust or a testamentary trust, cannot directly own a foreign asset. So if the deceased has got foreign assets and he bequeaths them to a minor, and the will says that the inheritance must be held in trust for that minor until they reach a certain age, then the executor is going to be forced to repatriate those foreign assets. So, again, this is why it's so important that the person who is taking the instructions to draft the will actually understands, um, you know, a lot of different aspects of tax, tax planning and estate planning. And Harry, just one comment. We spoke about re-looking at your will, but if you do a will and you've also got an offshore will, you've got to be one of the dangers. You've got to be so careful yeah, Brian, that I this mean, will doesn't just talk I about mean, you find it very global common. assets. Well, correct, because often the two wills will contradict. In other words, you know, if you're, your, your family, your parents are living in South Africa, you'll find they'll leave their South African assets to each other, but if they've got kids overseas, they'll leave the offshore assets to the kids. So, you know, so a husband will have a will saying, I leave my South African assets to my wife, I leave my offshore assets to my kids. So they'll have two separate wills. South African will leave everything to the wife. Offshore will leave everything to the kids. But you've got to make it very clear that that South African will only applies to your South African assets. And your offshore will only applies to your offshore assets. Now you do a codicil, you do an amendment to one of the wills, and you say this amendment applies to all my assets. And now suddenly there's a contradiction between the South African will and the foreign will. So it's very, very important. I mean, me and Gordon always have this question. We always have this chat. And we say if you've got property offshore or substantial assets offshore, have a separate will offshore. But then just make sure your local will and your foreign will don't contradict or it's clear that there are two separate wills in each will. Because often people forget, mm -hmm. you know, they've got an international will, they've got a will dealing with the assets and over the years they make changes to the yes. South African wills and they say this is my last will which includes all my assets. Correct, they and make then you've overridden the, local, the foreign yeah. will. Okay, let's get some email. G G Gordon, Janine in Parkview, I'm giving you this one. If I become non-resident, can I still transfer the one million a year offshore? Do I still need to do a South African tax return? And how will the earnings in the UK affect my South African tax return? Uh, Brian, so the single discretionary allowance that Janine made mention of, that's linked to the South African Reserve Bank. So it depends if Janine is a non-res for XCON purposes, uh, which she doesn't specify. So if the answer is yes, then I would say no, uh, as the Saab regulations say that um, it's only available to South African residents. Uh, if she's just going to be a non-res for tax purposes, uh, then the answer is yes. And then just to add, if she's uh, non-res for tax, but is earning income in the UK, uh, then with regards to the taxation rights, we'll need to turn to the double taxation agreement to see uh, who can tax what income. Brian, just to add on to what Gordon's saying, there's actually a Saab circular from last year, and they're saying that once you become non-tax resident, um, because Saab and SARS work together on these allowances, so once you become non-tax resident with SARS, from the following year, they're not going to allow you to use your allowance anymore. So Gordon's right, you can still use it this year, but it will, in the future years, it's going to be stopped. So 
Yeah, you, you need to actually show your tax number now, your green ID book, and all those things to use your allowances. And uh, if you're no longer a tax resident from the following year, will you stop? You actually, that gets stopped now. Yeah, I've got an email which I'm going to deal with further on about disclosure. But Harry, Pauline Campspower said, I'd like to be my minor daughter to be the beneficiary of my policy. How do I structure this? And then on my living annuity, my tax has gone up enormously. Please explain the reason. Well, we know the reason the tax has gone up because they yes. now accumulate all your assets and they calculate. All your annuities are seen yeah. as one. But Brian, very important, just for that question, quickly. There's nothing to stop Paul writing to the insurance company where the annuities are, explaining to them what his tax rate actually is and telling them to tax him on that rate, not on the official SARS rate. You can, what we call, opt out of the SARS rate. Now, the first question is, is an interesting one because Gordon's got the ideal product here. So we find a lot of our clients have got these offshore policies. So it could be an offshore dollar life policy with us, you know, an offshore life policy, or it could be an offshore endowment, and now they've got a minor child they want to benefit. So obviously you can't make the minor child the direct beneficiary of the policy because then how they're going to hold offshore assets and how they're going to open a foreign bank account. So then we always recommend that they should have a foreign trust for that minor child. But then the client's going to say to us, which they do, you know what these foreign trusts cost? You know, they cost $5,000 and up a year to run. They're really expensive. So what uh, we recommend, and Gordon, and I'm going to give you a free punch here, what Gordon's company does, <coughs> and obviously a few other companies do, what they call a bottom draw trust. Now that's a trust which is normally only a beneficiary of policies. So it's not holding major assets and it's not trading and it's not running businesses. It's a beneficiary of policies or a beneficiary of a will in Gordon's case as well and can only receive and then it's a much cheaper cost because that's not actively being managed. It's just the compliance which they're doing. And then you can get it done for as little as 200 pounds a year. Yeah. So that's a very good solution where you have any of these foreign assets where you want to benefit children, you, you use Gordon's bottom drawer trust and it can receive the assets, or you can use any company's bottom drawer trust. And Gordon, that 200 pounds, is, I think you've got it fixed for five years. Yeah, that's Brian. Uh, so I think, first of all, thank, thanks, Harry. That was a great, great uh, promotion of our product. Much appreciated. Brian, it's a product that we brought in for exactly this reason. And we, had, we touched on it earlier with regards to uh, minor children and offshore assets. And it's a major planning headache for South African estate planners. So the bottom drawer trust, is it's a dormant trust. You set it up. Uh, it doesn't hold any assets, but it acts as the just basically waiting to inherit from a deceased estate. Or alternatively, as Harry pointed out, you can nominate it as the beneficiary of the offshore life wrapper or, or other investment product. And it works really, really well. Okay. And, you know, we touch, there's no ongoing costs. And Brian, what's so neat, sorry, is that it's very tax efficient because normally, and I mean, me and Gordon have spoken about this often, if you've got an offshore trust and you fund it from South Africa, we've even got a question in the, the notes on that, you have to fund it by way of a loan or a donation and that triggers transfer pricing and all these anti-avoidance rules from South Africa. But if you fund this bottom draw trust by death, then obviously there's no loan that funded the trust and there's no tax back in South Africa. So you've actually broken the South African tax link unless, of course, the trust makes a distribution to South African residents. But if the money stays in the trust and is not dispersed to South African residents, sure. you've, you've broken the tax link yeah. back to South Africa. Uh, Lucien in Tiger Bay, Gordon, says, I've been a South African in offshore will dealing only with my assets in each jurisdiction separately. On my death in winding up the state, can either of the office request information and this is, not the, is this not a danger that I could end up paying additional debt duties or inheritance in taxes? Okay, so let's start off by talking about what South Africans pay estate duty on. And they are taxable on their 
global estates. There are some exceptions to that, but we'll put that to one side. So when answering this question, and Brian, it's a question I used to get asked a lot, is I like to use the analogy of a spider web. So the spider sitting in the very middle of the web is the South African executor, and he needs to then deal with all of the insects, well, assets, which are spread all around the, the web. So the, the SA executor can't finalize the liquidation and distribution account until he's received all of the information from the other executors or agents that have been appointed to wind up that estate. Uh, and these foreign executors or agents will also then need to settle any estate taxes <clears throat> in the countries where the assets are situated. Uh, which is typically then on a CITES basis. So therefore, there will be communication between the South Africa and the other executives, but that in its own right is not really something to be concerned about. Whether to answer the second part of a question, so to, with regards to whether she could end up paying additional tax, this is going to depend on the laws of the country where the assets are situated. So I'm going to use the two popular examples. Uh, so for the UK and the USA, there is a double taxation agreement in place um, with South Africa that deals with death duties. But these double taxation agreements typically give the other country, i.e. the UK or the US, uh, the taxing right. And then the South African resident can claim a tax credit against those taxes that were paid in the foreign country. But the problem is, is that the double taxation agreements limit the extent that the estate tax that can be claimed as a tax credit. And that's limited to the extent of the tax that would have been paid in South Africa. So when you look at the UK and the US that both have an estate tax of 40% and South Africa is either at 20 or 25, yes, there is going to be a situation where you will pay more tax in the UK or the US and you won't be able to claim back the full amount. Okay, well, but we got a you'll only pay the 40%. Yeah. You won't pay the SA and the US. Gordon, I think you're in town with us live on the 24th. Not that you're not alive in Mauritius tonight, but I think we've got a live program with you and Harry on the 24th. Brian, I've got to jump in. One of the answers here, if you look at our dollar life product, our offshore life policy wrapper, that is not a domestic policy in South Africa. So it falls out of the state duty net in South Africa, and it's issued through our Guernsey office. So it's not a state duty over there. So that dollar life, pure life policy is not a state deductible, and you actually avoid those problems that, yeah. of the double tax with all the sites. And taxes. that could also cover any additional costs. If exactly, you that policy would kick yeah. out the liquidity yeah. to pay the American. Well, on the twenty fourth of October, we're going to deal with we're going to deal with um, um, rappers and so on. But I just want to get to to Robert in Belita. He says, if you transfer money offshore in your personal name and then transfer it to trust, is it a reportable offence? What are the consequences of reporting it? And what happens if you don't report it? Well, it's not an offence. It's not. A so it's reportable, <laughs> but not an offence. Yeah, you've got to report it because, remember, as me and Gordon have discussed many times, there's what we call transfer pricing in South Africa, and there's a Section 7 tax anti-avoidance rule. So you've got to report it on your return. What you should do is by transferring to a trust, you should charge interest at the rate depending on what that foreign currency is. Because so the, the trust owes you money. Yes, so you should charge interest on that loan in terms of the transfer pricing and report that on your tax return, pay tax on the interest, and then you don't commit any offence. Well, well, and then, Brian, sorry, Brian, can I just add to what uh, what Harry's just said there? Uh, he's, Harry's spot on. Um, but what, what Robert, I think, was alluding to is not a reportable offence, but rather what's known as a reportable arrangement. And, and reportable arrangements begin at 10 million, and they, sh they must be reported to SARS within 45 days. And 
failings, failing this reporting, SARS are allowed to start raising penalties. Well, as you pushed in there, I'm not going to do a closing tonight. I'm just going to let you viewers know that I hope you've enjoyed our program. But it's very important that you have a will. Uh, this is um, Harry at Discovery says, Discovery do wills. Gordon does um, what they call yeah, we store wills. Draw trust. Very important. We and store you store the, the wills as well. So I'm going to just say that whilst most of our programs over the years have dealt with wills and trusts, one thing that must never be ignored in planning your estate is having cash to avoid your executor having to sell assets at the wrong time. Assets cannot be distributed. Either family members, creditors paid, and most important, taxes, which include estate duty. There are also executive fees to consider. This is often where insurance policies are taken to provide liquidity. However, the older you are, the higher the cost of the insurance. It's for this reason that estate planning is so important component in your overall financial planning. Harry Gordon, thank you for joining me this thank evening, you, rushing through to that. It's important to note our program is to provide information and should not be construed as advice. Next week's program, we'll, be de- we'll have a breath, we'll be dealing with financial planning. If you need to get hold of me, my details will appear on the screen. Thank you for watching and good night.